Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. Well, I hope everybody's staying safe and managing to deal with our worldwide timeout, if you will. I guess the universe is upset at us and we all have to stay in our room for a while, just like we did when we were little kids. So I hope you're making the best of this tough situation. We're right smack dab in the middle of it. And uh, God bless everybody. I feel so much for my, uh, my home in New York City. I just moved from there in uh, September, and it's just really tough sledding in New York now. And I feel so much for my friends and uh, folks, family there in the New Jersey area. And just it's just a really really trying situation. So I hope the rest of the country can learn from this that we really need to practice the social distancing. When you have all these people on top of each other, uh, things can spread very quickly. So I hope you all have things under control. I'll get back in mentioning this uh, coronavirus in a few minutes, but let me tell you a little bit about our show today. We've got two real guys guys on Guys Guys Radio. Our first guest is Mark Cameron. He is a a peace officer, a police officer, and he's worked in SWAT. He's worked as a patrolman. He's worked as a uh, protecting emissaries. He is really just, a, a, he's, he's an adventure novelist is what he is, and he's written a whole bunch of books using a character by the name of Jericho Quinn, who was loosely based on Mark, I think. He might agree with that. And he's also now writing some of the uh, Tom Clancy books, the Jack Ryan books. He's got one called Code of Honor, and uh, that's quite an honor to be able to be uh, asked into that franchise because it's a very special place. Obviously, Tom Clancy is considered a master at his craft. And if you're writing using his name, basically, since he's passed, um, to keep, continue to keep Jack Ryan, the character, going, that's a real honor. So Mark Cameron's going to be our first guest. And then we also have a real guy's guy. His name is Kevin Hancock. He is a CEO of a lumber company up in Maine, and it's been a family-owned business for about uh, 150 years, I believe. And what's amazing about him is uh, two things. Uh, First, he has been on a mission, really, to learn how to be a better manager and to learn to have his companies be more employee-focused versus just profit and top-down focused. And it's a real challenge, obviously, to have an open type of organization because a lot of times people are afraid to talk about their superiors and the conditions where they're working. Uh, But Kevin's done a masterful job by traveling around the world and uh, spending time with Indian tribes, spending time in India, spending time in Colombia, and really learning from different shamanic and uh, spiritual masters about how best to lead groups of people forward. So a real guy's guy approaching business in a more spiritual way. And uh, he also has, just so you know ahead of time, he was diagnosed in 2012 with something called spasmodic dysphonia. And it's affected his ability to communicate vocally. So just please understand that when we're having our conversation. He's a terrific guy, as is Mark, and I can't wait to get into the show with them. But let me just give you a couple of thoughts on coronavirus. I am not an expert. I have not been afflicted. 
uh, I, I have been safe. My family's been safe. I'm, I'm very blessed and very appreciative and full of gratitude for that. And my heart goes out to everybody out there because I know we're going through this whole thing together. And I would just ask everybody to like, you know, keep your head on your shoulders. And uh, so I've got a couple of tips that have worked for me uh, under this past month or so of quarantine. And I think we're right smack dab in the middle of it. So got to kind of keep keep going and be smart about it. So here's a couple of thoughts for consideration only. Um, number one, uh, limit your exposure to the news. We need to know what's going on. But I'm finding that it's just, it's, a, it's fear porn. It's really being blasted out as like the worst case scenarios over and over and over again and a lot of blaming going on. And of course, the U.S. has kind of fumbled uh, its response. Um, and it's a very diverse country. We have 50 states and the states have different amounts of authority and ex exercise them in different ways, rather. And it's not like in Seoul, Korea, where you've got... Uh, about 10 million people who live in Seoul and, and in the surrounding suburbs are another 10 million. So 50% of the population of South Korea lives in kind of one, one area, if you will. So the measures they put in very quickly help flatten their curve. Here in the United States, we still, as of this date, we still don't have a national kind of shutdown. So there's some uh, states, I believe South Carolina is the most populated of the remaining states that have not done a shutdown. And that's kind of scary because those people could be traveling a month or two from now. This thing could keep could have legs, and I think we've got to all get together and and uh, and and clamp down on that. But the point is, the news. There's just so much of it, and it's so omnipresent. It could really depress you and scare the bejesus out of you. So be careful how much news you consume. You want to stay up to date, and you want to get the latest information, but you don't want to be totally bombarded by it. So you're stress level goes up, and when your stress level goes up, your immune, immune, immune system goes down. Uh, number two, I would do whatever you can do to keep your vibration high. Keep a clean diet, work out at home, uh, meditate. You have some time now to meditate. Slow things down if you're in the corporate world. You can't do everything. I'm sure it's not as crazy as it usually is where it's like bang, bang, bang on every decision all the time. Use that time to kind of slow things down. You Good time to clean up your diet, get some rest, do some spiritual stuff, maybe do some yoga, whatever. But do whatever you can to raise your vibration because that will also raise your immune system. Uh, number three, I find that developing routines has really helped me. I get up every morning and I, I do some affirmations. I do some prayer. And I also do uh, Dan Millman, who wrote The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. I do his... Uh, it's about a, it's a four minute workout. It takes me about a little longer than that because I do more reps, but it's a 15 movement uh, system. I've been doing it for a couple of years and it's really, I got to tell you, it's made me younger. It's made me much more supple and uh, flexible and it's fantastic. But what it is, it's a routine. So unless I'm really under the weather, I do it. And I've been doing it for a couple of years straight now and I can really feel a difference. And also the fact that developing a routine is, is a good thing. Keep you on beam. I know some people are saying like, uh, is today Wednesday? Oh no, it's Friday because we're not used to this being shut in. Um, if you're going to be inside, it's a perfect time also to go inside and take a look at yourself and look at your relationships and look at your life and look at what can I be doing different? What's going to be, bring me joy? What's going to bring me pleasure? And how can I share that with other people? It's a perfect time. You have a little bit of time now to go inside. So while you're inside, go inside. And last but not least, 
you got to do the sanitary stuff. Obviously, wash your hands. I don't know what to think about wearing the face mask because you could be breathing in the same germs in the face mask over and over again. I don't know. I'm not wearing one right now. That's just me. My family's not wearing them. We'll see what happens. So anyhow, that's a couple of thoughts on coronavirus since we're right smack dab in the middle of it. So hang in there. We'll get through it. Be strong. Be patient. All right, Guys Guys Radio, we got two special guests, two guys guys. We got Mark Cameron and Kevin Hancock. It's Guys Guy Radio. Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. As I mentioned, I have a special guest here. His name is Mark Cameron. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a very prolific writer. He's written these Jericho Quinn novels that are really fantastic. We're going to talk about the latest called Active Measures. He also writes uh, some of the Tom Clancy uh, books with Jack Ryan. So he's an amazing guy, 29 years in law enforcement as a police officer, horse patrol, SWAT, detective, dignitary protection, He's been all over the world. He speaks Japanese. He travels extensively researching his New York Times bestselling Jericho Quinn novels. And he's been nominated for both the Barry and Thriller Award. He's a real guy's guy. He's from Texas. He lives in Anchorage, Alaska. Mark Cameron, welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Hey, thanks, Robert. Great to be here. Okay, let's start right at the beginning. You're a writer and you were a police officer for many years. How did you kind of, uh, what inspired you to do both? And how did you kind of weave those two different uh paths, if you will, together to make it work for you and be so successful? Well, that's a good question. I, uh, I've always wanted to be a writer from the time my aunt was a librarian, my parents were teachers, and so I was around books my whole life. And um, I, if I was honest, I'd say that probably Adam West, Batman, probably inspired me to be in law enforcement. And um, I just early on wanted to, to be that guy that hunted bad guys and helped the the underdog and the two careers that you know police officers are generally storytellers and so i listened to some incredible stories over the years and incredible bits of dialogue at the end of a day we'll get together and you know you'll never believe what happened a day you know after the fight or this domestic call or whatever and um just try to uh you know i've carried a notebook my whole life uh, adult life as a police officer anyway and many of those notebooks just ended up full of little quotes and mm-hmm. snippets of conversation that I used later in stories. What, what, what did you learn about people that you didn't know before from being a police officer and particularly kind of a, a everyday police officer, you know, a patrolman, if you will? Yeah, that, that I have to say that out of all the jobs that I've done, the, the uniform patrol officer is the one that taught me the most about um, police, I mean, about, uh, people about the, you know, oftentimes my, my youngest son is a police officer here in Anchorage and he'll call, he works midnights and he'll call me on the drive home. Um, he's probably got about a 30 minute drive home and he'll give me a call and recount his night, you know, cause, um, and it's good for me cause being one of those, you know, former action guys, it's nice to hear from somebody that's still doing it. And, he starts off almost every conversation with dad, people. <laughs> and then he'll tell me about some backstory about somebody that, uh, you know, just uh, kind of that uniqueness of the, the human, the humanness of people. And uh, 
So especially as a writer, the, the ability to um, counsel with folks, to listen to their stories, you know, uh, the marshal that I used to work for, my, my boss here, the presidentially appointed marshal in Anchorage, um, he was very fond of saying, you know, we're in the people business. And he's absolutely right. This, it's uh, most of the people we deal with in law enforcement are in the, the worst day of their life. They might be really great folks, but we happen to, you know, intersect with them if great they're point. being being assaulted or for whatever reason. They might be generally decent people, but doing some kind of evil behavior. And, you know, I often get asked, you know, you must deal with a lot of evil people over the years. And, and I have, but not as many as people would think. Um, I've dealt with a lot of people that have done evil things. But generally speaking, um, I could count the truly what I would say were evil people on both hands and maybe one foot. Um, mm-hmm. Just not a... So, so they're at the worst day of their life. The good guys, you know, the victims are at the worst day of their life. And you just really learn a lot about folks when they're under stress, including your cohort, the, the people that you're working with, you know, and... So that's that's been very interesting. How did you develop um, your first story, and uh, and then also let's move into the book, um, Mark Cameron's Active Measures, uh, a Jericho Quinn novel. I think there's about ten of them, and uh, this one's about a uh, kind of an atom bomb that goes missing after the Cuban uh, uh, missile crisis. And it's a fast page turner, and it's got a lot of action. And uh, as somebody who's a published novelist, I have a lot of questions about your writing process because I hats off to you. You're really you're fast and it's fun, and uh, you know they're page turners. So how did you kind of like say, okay, I've got this character, I've got I've got a series I can start writing, or was it just like an idea, like oh, here's a conflict, here's what this main character wants and he can't get it, or how did you kind of come up with all this, Mark? You know that's that's a good question, and not not many people know this, but I. I write, well, I hope more people know that I write three series. I, I write a series about a deputy marshal in Alaska. In fact, the second book in that series just came out yesterday. It's called Stone Cross. And I had written several short stories. I had written some Western novels. And I you know I have a stack, like my, most writers, I had a stack of rejection letters back when you used to get letters in the mail that said no right. thanks instead yeah. of emails or just the cold shoulder like happens now. And so I had, uh, I mean, when we were early married, my wife gave me a bulletproof vest and a Smith Corona typewriter to show me, you know, I support this crazy dream you got. And so, um, I had been writing a long time and I, I was, I was already, I'd written, I was published already. I had four or actually six Western novels published some under other names that, you know, I'd ghostwritten for other writers which is often the way you break into this. And um, I wrote a book about Alaska with some uh, Alaska native youth and the crime. And I had gone down to Prince of Wales Island and tracked, uh, I was part of the district rural tracking team. And I'd gone down to um, track a bad guy who had chopped another guy's head off and run into the woods. And they called us, the troopers called us down to help him. Uh, because of our tracking experience, and we were part of the Alaska Fugitive Task Force, so we went and tracked him. It took us a couple of days and uh, eventually arrested him. 
And so I thought, man, this would be a great book. The story would be great. And so I wrote a, I was already published. I thought this will be easy. I'm already, one of my books had already hit the Westerns had already hit USA Today list and nobody would buy it. I, my, I had a literary agent and it just, and I look back on it and I can look at the, the manuscript now and say, well, gosh, no wonder nobody bought that book. It, I couldn't figure out whether I wanted to write a, a romance or a, a mystery or a thriller. But I got a, a rejection letter, and I won't say who it's from, but it was a major publisher, and it was a page and a half long. That's good. Which is so rare. Yeah. And uh, the editor was effusive about my writing. He liked my writing style. He liked the characters. But he didn't particularly like the plot. And at the end of the letter, he said, who cares about Alaska? <laughs> and who cares about these native kids that are running around in the Alaska bush? Write over the top, write something that's like Jason Bourne, write something that's like James Bond with your background, write that. Well, it really made me mad because I do a lot of work out in the Alaska bush with bush communities and native, you know, my friends are, are Yupik and Inupak and Athabaskan. And um, we do a lot of work out there in the, in the Marshall Service with the troopers. But I set that aside and kind of in a fit of peak, just... It took me about eight months because I was working full time. I wrote this kind of over the top character that I, at that point, my son was in the Air Force Academy and my oldest son and wanted to go to be an OSI agent. So he was applying with OSI within the Air Force, which is like NCIS, but for the Air Force. So I knew a bit about that. And I just made this character uh, of Jericho Quinn, an OSI agent that rides motorcycles like I ride, rides BMW GS Adventure motorcycle. I spent some time in Japan. I uh, practice martial arts. I I enjoy kendo and I enjoy boxing. I, you know, so I just and I like to sail. And so I just took my both my sons and my daughter and me and sort of merged them into the and my wife and merged them into these heroic characters. And my mother's from Louisiana, so the the um, uh, Jacques Thibodeau, the Cajun character, came pretty naturally. I've, I've heard the the marine, you know, the Cajun care, the Cajun vernacular um, when we go down there, and uh, I have many friends that are Marines, and so the characters were really already bumping around in my head, and I allowed myself to write basically a a 1970s Matt Helmish or destroy, you know, mm-hmm. Remo Williams kind of adventure story that I would have liked to have read, and thought, well, this would be one off, and I'll go back and polish this other book. And you know, off you go. Nine right. books and two novellas mm-hmm. later, where where people enjoy them, and I do too. I enjoy them. But I was able to go back eventually and write after the Clancy's, um, write two Arliss Cutter books, which is about a deputy marshal based in Alaska and out in the bush, Alaska. So Good I've kind you. of gotten to have the best of all the worlds there. Good for you. So how did uh, let's talk about this book um, that I have here which is called the Act, Active Measures. And this mm-hmm. is about the Bay of Pigs and a kind of a, 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 an atom bomb that gets away. How did you uh, research that? Uh, have you been to Cuba? How did you come up with these characters? How does this fit in with the rest of the nine or 10 other Jericho Quinn series? You've got Triple Frontier, Dead Drop, Field of Fire, a lot of brute force, Fast Furious, page turners how did how did this book come about how did you come up with like okay 
Bay of Pigs, Runaway, yeah. Runaway Atom Bomb. So I was I was reading about the intermediate missiles and things that that caused the the Cuban Missile Crisis, and in sort of in a little footnote of, of some of the historical writings, there was a, a note that, unbeknownst to the United States, until like the early two thousands, um, Russia had parked almost a hundred, like ninety eight, short range mm-hmm. tactical nukes there, and we didn't even know about them. These little, these little FKRs, these frontline combat rifle, uh, rockets, uh, to stop an invasion because Cuba Castro was worried we were going to invade. Right. And you know all our intelligence that we had from satellites and people on the ground, and we really underestimated Cuban intelligence at the time. And uh, some would say we we did for a long time. About you know we felt like well they were kind of a little banana republic and they you know we our intelligence apparatus is better and we we really did underestimate them historically and so we didn't know and so I just supposed that I'm always looking for some kind of a Indiana Jones what if, what if, if you right. will what if and if I don't hear that Indiana Jones theme in my head I'm I know I'm on the wrong track <laughs> so. Um, I really like stuff to move that quickly, especially in these Jerichos. And uh, so I just kind of posited to myself, what if the bad guys, what if Russia left behind one of these FKRs, these frontline combat rockets, and uh, it got lost because of some kind of death or whatever, and then it was found more recently and then it became it. a threat to us. So it's something something a little different than the suitcase nuke that goes rogue or something like that, because it, it was uh, reading history is certainly very possible. Okay, Guys, Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manning. I'm here with special guest author Mark Cameron. We're talking about one of his Jericho Quinn books, and we're going to talk about some other stuff. But um, with Quinn and this type of writing, how? People think that writing these type of page turners is easier than some type of literary stuff. I would disagree because I think writing action is really difficult in terms of choosing the words and putting the sentences together and and not getting all kind of going down the rabbit hole. How do you you approach uh, action sequences? Because I think they're very challenging to be able to, and you've got a real skill to be able to write good action sequences. It's not easy. Thank you. No, I... I plot everything out pretty, you know, I, I've studied martial arts for a, a long time. I have a, a jiu-jitsu master named Ty Cunningham. He's a 10th degree black belt that, that was my partner in the martial service for a number of years. And so I call and chat with him. I, uh, I work through, when my kids were younger, I would, uh, you know, go through things with them. When I worked with a martial service, uh, up here in Alaska, we have a nice mat room, and I would get my buds in there, and we would walk through different scenarios. So I, I really like to writing a fight scene is like writing a is like choreographing a dance yeah. scene, uh, you know, like or like they do in in Hollywood. Uh, they need you need to make it seem fluid, and and you know, well, you need to make it fluid, but you need to make it seem spontaneous. But in order to do that, it really has to be really thought out mm-hmm. in fact the what i what i strive for is to make it seem not only spontaneous but chaotic and right. but in order to make it chaotic a, a page and a half fight uh there's a fight in um in fact it's one of the most 
fun fights I've ever written. Uh, there's a, I think it's in uh, Act of Terror, the second book. He's in a fight in a bathroom, a very cramped bathroom with three other men. So it's Quinn. He's standing at the urinal, and I always, you know, I'll be, mm-hmm. I'll be somewhere thinking, I'm standing at the urinal. <laughs> what if somebody attacks me now while I'm peeing? Or I think, okay, I'm just stepping out of my car my leg exposed to this door. What if somebody attacks me now? What do I do? And, you know, tactically, I'm always thinking mm-hmm. that. So I think this is a worst case scenario. And then I drop Got Quinn it. or Thibodeau or somebody else into that and then watch them be in characters that get it out. So I really work hard on the, on choreographing those fight scenes, but it might take uh, a full day, sometimes a couple of days with revisions to write a fight. Yep. Not a, yep. you're, you're absolutely spot on. It's, it's not an easy thing to write action that, uh, just like, you know, I've heard comedians say it's not a, not easy to write jokes. It's that's, a, it's that's a right. thing. Right. So, uh, now you've got uh, a chance to work with the, the Tom Clancy property in the Jack Ryan novels, and you've got Code of Honor, the Mark Cameron. How, how did that happen? And how, how do you get into the right mindset to write a series in as part of a series that somebody else came up with and did, did you enjoy the process is it is it liberating is it constricting how does that all work for you mark yeah good question i i was writing uh, i just finished a, a, the full-length jericho quinn before active measures several years ago called field of fire and i was at a conference and a uh, friend of mine named mark graney who was writing the the Clancy Jack Ryan books before me, he came, we, we were chatting and, and he just said kind of off the cuff, Hey, do you want me to do a cover blurb for you? Um, why don't you And I, I hate to ask other authors for cover right. blurbs because I know how busy we all are, but having somebody like Mark, who's a number one New York times bestselling author with his own gray man series. And then, and then the client, I think he wrote seven uh, Jack Ryan's. So uh, that was great. So I had no idea what he was planning, but I sent him the manuscript. He wrote me one little note back praising the first chapter that's about a Russian military installation and right across the water from Alaska. And uh, then I didn't hear from him again. You know, thanks. You know, he mm-hmm. gave me the blurb and that was that. And then I, my wife and I had gone to Florida to research um, – Actually, we were finishing up some research on active measures, and I was doing some research on one of the new series, the Cutter series, who's from Florida. And I, I was on the beach, and my agent called and said, we want you to, uh, the, the Clancy franchise called, and Mark Granny's recommended you to, do, to write the next Jack Ryan. This was in 2016. Mm-hmm. And my wife thought somebody had died, and for some macabre reason, she took a picture of me. So there's a picture of me <laughs> with a stricken look on my face, you know, holding the phone, okay. um, about to stroke out, I think. Um, but we kind of marched on from there. And I've been a Tom Clancy fan since The Hunt for Red October, so right. I, I feel like I really know the characters uh, not as well as I should. I mean, I'm constantly striving to get to know them better. But I've grown up with him as a police officer. I was 20, gosh, I would have been about 21 or 22 when Hunt for Red October came out. I can remember specifically 
being back at the federal law enforcement training center and the building's been torn down now, but I was in some, I was at an advanced class and, um, when the paperback of some of all fears came out and I, I left the paperback on an airplane and had to buy it again because I was caught up in the story. And I remember sitting in this, uh, this room, this, you know, accommodations on the federal law enforcement training center when I was with the marshal service and there was exposed radiator pipes and it, it looked like I envisioned, you know, KGB training mm -hmm. grounds to be like. So I just was reading that kind of thinking about the story and thinking I could write this, I could write these kind of things. Never thought I would write for the Tom Clancy franchise. Well, congratulations so, uh, and, and great job. Um, look, just a couple more questions. Um, sure. There's a lot of books in your genre. I think you'd agree. What separates Jericho Quinn, your writing style? What makes you different? Well, there's some guys that are really um, great. I mean, people that are former cops, there's people that are former Navy SEALs. Jack Carr comes to mind that he's, you know, he's written a new novel called Savage Son that's, my goodness, it's incredible. Um, Brad Taylor, former military. I really enjoy people that write that have, Mark Graney's not formal, former military, but man, the guy gets out and trains with the military, trains mm -hmm. with his law enforcement. He's always on the range. He's talking to intelligence folks, people that do that kind of research. And so the, and, and I, I, I'm really bad about promoting my own books, but what I try for, what I really okay. strive for is to be authentic in my fight scenes because I, many of the fight scenes are, are taken from some sort of scrap that I've been in and then extrapolated into life or death scenarios you right. know if i was kicked into a, a prep table in a restaurant on patrol and ended up peeing blood for two days that turns out way worse in the book than you know right. than it did in mm -hmm. my real fight so i try to be authentic in the fights i try to be authentic in my terminology about weaponry and maybe where mine are a little bit different is mine are um there's a lot more humor in mine. I I have, and there's humor in other books as well, some other books as well, but I have to, um, if I was going to compare the my Jerichos to the, to the Jack Ryans, Clancy would put some humor in. Mine's the kind of humor that I believe real operators, you know, sometimes I have to chat with my editors for both sets of books, why are why are these guys telling jokes in the middle of a, a tense situation or a gunfight? Because that's the way it really is. Mm -hmm. There's a, that's it. a stress reliever. So, okay, maybe that. Guys, guys, radio. Our special guest, Mark Cameron. The latest Jericho Quinn novel is Active Measures, but there's like nine or I think more. He's also got the Arliss Cutter series. He's written some of the Jack Ryan books. Tell us, uh, Mark, where our listeners can find out more about you and where they can get your books, a website, whatever you want to uh, promote. Yeah, so um, just Mark Cameron Books is my website. I'm on Facebook at Mark Cameron Author. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. If you just Google Mark Cameron Books, you'll find me pretty much everywhere. All right. Well, great job. Uh, I would like to invite you back whenever you want on to Guys Guys Radio because you're a breath of fresh air. I love the work you're doing. I started 
um, active measures, and I am committed to going through the whole thing because it's a pleasure. It's fun. I was hooked. The inciting incident happened within six pages. I'm hooked. <laughs> I know where we're going, and it's going to be a fun romp. So the name of this book is called Active Measures. Mark Cameron, thanks so much on being on Guys Guys Radio. You're a guys guy, and you're a man's man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Robert. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Guy's Guy's Radio, your host, Robert Manny. We're wearing our business hat today uh, for this guest. He's an amazing guy. His name is Kevin Hancock. He's got a book. It's called The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership. And as I mentioned to Kevin that I've been in corporate life for 30 plus years at big ad agencies, small ad agencies, big Big companies, Volvo of America, Nabisco Brands, um, just a lot, a lot of different companies I've worked for. So we'll have a very fruitful conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about Kevin and his book. He is the CEO of Hancock Lumber, Lumber, Lumber Company, excuse me, and uh, it's one of the biggest lumber companies in the U.S. who was established way back 1848. So it's a family business. It's a four-time recipient of recipient of the best places to work in Maine. Excuse me, folks. Um, Kevin's past chairman of the National Lumber Building Materials Association. He's a graduate of Bodwin College. And the amazing thing is he's a frequent visitor to Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, which is a long way from Maine. He's traveled all over the world on business and in pleasure and, and really in a learning journey. He published his first book about his experiences with the Oglala Sioux Tribe in 2015 called Not For Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse, which is an amazing story. And the whole story of the Sioux Indians and Crazy Horse and General Custer and all of that is, is well worth delving into because I think Native Americans are really, they're really spiritual beings. And some people say they may not even be originally from, from Earth itself, this plane, but whatever. Thankfully, uh, people like Kevin are bringing awareness to uh, the Sioux and other Indians, Native American Indians, and uh, and their cause, and just their lives, and being able to to flourish as best as possible in our society. Uh, this book was featured in the New York Times and won the 2015 National Indie Excellence Award, the 2016 Independent Authors Network Award, and the 2016 New York Book Festival Award. So quite a book, and this is a a follow up, but it's a standalone book. And it's called The Seventh Power. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Kevin Hancock. Thank you, Robert. It's my pleasure to be with you. Now, Kevin, uh, let's get right to the, the the heart of this at the beginning. You have you you have been a CEO of this major company for many years, and then uh, suddenly you were diagnosed with what's called spasmodic dysphonia, which makes communicating and speaking difficult. So I hope our audience understands that. So tell us why, how you got that, what it is, and what, why do you think you got that? Because I think it sparked part of your learning journey. Yeah, sure. It, so it, uh, to, uh, in 2010, at the peak of the national housing and mortgage market collapse. I was feeling lots of pressure trying to figure out how to help our lumber company get through that. And uh, during that period, suddenly I began to have trouble speaking, something I'd always taken for granted, never thought about, and frankly, done a lot of. You know, as a CEO, it's kind of like your voice 
is your tool and suddenly i couldn't couldn't uh use it and had to quickly develop some different communicating systems and long story short robert when it was uh, super difficult to talk back then it's gotten quite a bit better but it was super difficult back then um i started developing strategies for talking less and the strategy i kind of intuitively picked up was to answer a question with a question thereby putting the conversation right back up on the other person so at work in that kind of classic scene someone would come up to me because i was the boss or the ceo with a question instead of giving an answer i started saying that is a good question what do you think we should do about it Mm-hmm. And that's while fantastic. initially, yeah, initially this was just a voice protection exercise. In time, uh, it really opened my eyes because what I found uh, was people actually already knew what to do. They didn't actually need a top-down management-directed solution to the vast majority of challenges that they faced during the course of the day. They already knew what to do. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about this book, because the journey is you you traveled and when you start to learn about yourself and about companies uh, based on what you learned about your own affliction, if you will, um, you you went back to the Lakota tribe and you worked with some of the folks there. You traveled with some people in Colombia. You went, kind of went all over the world, even in Boston. You talked to people who worked at SoulCycle and you really gleaned a lot of insights into what makes uh, how companies nowadays and corporations need to change to become more uh, driven by value for the employees versus value for just the shareholders, if you will. So it's kind of a bottom up. So I guess my question to you is, how did you kind of uh, uh, weave that together, that that learning? And then let's talk then uh, about the practicality of it, because sometimes it's it's difficult to do that because people get afraid to talk. So let me turn it over to you. Sure. Thank you. So, yeah, what really started to tip things for me was uh, was the travel I began doing first to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, which is one of the biggest, poorest of all the Sioux reservations on the Northern Plains. And there, here's the connection, Robert. There I encountered an entire community that did not feel fully heard that felt as if a piece of their voice had been taken. And I put that together with my own situation and uh, concluded that, you know, there are lots of ways for humans to lose their voice in this world. (laughs) And that really across time, leaders have probably done more to restrict the voices of others that to free or liberate them. And that's when I really got excited about the idea within our own company of creating a culture that gave everybody a voice and made it safe for everyone to say what they actually thought and to share the responsibility for speaking for the company because I couldn't do it myself and for leading the company. Yeah, I like what you say about employers serve companies, but we need the uh, 
uh, companies to serve the employees. Um, in the book, what's a very great part of the book is, amongst many things, is that you have this uh, seven points, this, this seven powers, if you will, and it's a wheel, and it came from, I think, your experiences with the Lakota folks and also uh, your other travels around the world. But um, let me give read some of the points for you. Uh, number one, and you can talk about the ones you want to highlight. Uh, one, great people are everywhere. Two, culture makes the difference and empower is dispersed as part of that. Three, change is created first from within. Four, localize. Five, listen. Six, overachieving has consequences. And seven is broaden the mission. So I don't know where you want to start or if you want to just pick out a couple of these, but putting all these together kind of is the, the seventh power, if you will, in terms of how to transform your corporation to be one that uh, the companies are serving the employees and that value is then uh, shared with the customers. Yeah, so I think uh, there's a lot there, of course. It took a whole book to talk about it, but to take a, a piece of that, I think I would start with uh, this. It's the notion that 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 essentially everyone is capable of leading and everyone has a voice that's worth being heard and that um, the culture is really what separates organizations. Cultures either uh, collect power to the center and put it in the hands of the few, or those cultures disperse power and strengthen the voices of others. I'm a former history teacher, and one of the examples I like to give in the book regarding culture uh, is Germany after World War II. Think about what happened there. So Germany was divided arbitrarily between East and West after World War II. West Germany went on to become the economic, one of the economic engines that led the planet forward. East Germany uh, held on with machine guns and barbed wire and guard dogs until it collapsed right. under mm -hmm. its own weight. But would anybody say that the difference was that all the quote unquote best Germans happened to be on the west side of that line and the and the less best Germans. Right. I don't know how you'd even say it. Right. It's same as you mentioned. On the right hand. Right. Like, the, like the, in Korea, North and South of Korea, they're not. Yeah, the, exactly. People, people are people. They respond to the environment they're in. So it's up to the leaders to put together an environment where people can flourish, because as you say, great people are everywhere. Agree, 100 percent. Correct. OK. Yeah. Uh, I love also love your notion that every person should be CEO of their own job. And I think that's important because a lot of times people don't realize that they are important uh, and they do have accountability and responsibility. You see it. Uh, you know, a lot of people just they just show up and then they leave. They don't feel anything about their job. And there's not a lot of loyalty going from co corporation to employee nowadays, as well as employee to corporation. It's just stops along the way where it's convenient for everybody. Hopefully everybody wins and then people go their own way. Whereas in the past, it used to be. I guess one of the positives in a way where people could work for the same corporation for 40 years now and public corporations. Now that's not really the, the case. It's that's more of the rarity than the, the exception and the rule, if you will. I mean, you have your own company, but in most places, people are like managing their careers and hopping when they need to hop and uh, just staying ahead of the uh, 
the executioner sometimes where they're going to get fired. They just move move around and around. What's your thoughts about what can uh, companies do to uh, keep their good employees? Well, I think the one big thought is to make the employee experience a top priority. You know, that sounds simple, but it's powerful. Corporations are good at whatever they choose to focus on. So really, the simple act of making the employee experience a top corporate priority will have a huge impact on improving the employee experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree with you completely. It's like in my, uh, uh, my experience in uh, multinational corporations was pretty much bottom line oriented where, for instance, I worked at a uh, confectionery co- division of uh, Nabisco and uh, the people who worked on Lifesaver candies, uh, that was a cash cow because it probably meant at the time was about three cents to make a roll of Lifesavers and you, you made probably 50 cents profit on every roll. So the people they put in charge of that brand were pretty straightforward and it was like, don't screw it up. Whereas people who worked on the marketing people who worked on Bubble Yum, including myself, we were put out there to see if we can set the set the brand on fire and had some more latitude to do that. So there was an environmental aspect there, which I thought was very smart. In the agency business, I found that the big global agencies I worked with, I didn't find that their, even though they had the big accounts, I didn't find that their creative was that good. A lot of times I felt sheepish going into the client to have with some bad ideas. Whereas I worked with some small, uh, more boutique agencies where the culture was about working together and it was about creativity and where people showed up to work happily. I remember going to one agency I worked with. I'll say the name of it, Margiotis Fertitta Partners. We did great work. I was always happy and looking forward to go to work, whereas some of the big agencies I worked at, I was like dreading some of the meetings because I knew the product was not going to be as good. I I attribute that, as I think you would, Kevin, to culture. So you want to amplify on that a little bit from your own experience with other companies? Yeah, I love what you just said there, that the employee experience matters. And if people are having fun, feeling valued, feeling empowered, and feeling like, here's the big thing, like work is more than just an economic exercise, they are going to perform better in a more sustainable way. You know, the data on this is dramatic. In America today, 180 million people work, but less than a third of them will describe that experience as engaging or meaningful beyond its economic value. And globally, that data gets even worse. Globally, 3 billion people work, and less than two in 10 will describe that as engaging. And perhaps in the 19th century or during the Industrial Revolution, that might have been okay. But this is the 21st century. Right. And for people to invest decades in a career that is not meaningful beyond the economics so as to only live on the weekends or on vacation or in retirement, that in the 21st century to me is an unnecessary um, structure and 
counterproductive to peak performance in business. So first, I'm, I'm after that on a, on a human level, and then second, on an economic level. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio, and this is your host, Robert Manny, is Kevin Hancock. He's got a book. It's fantastic. It's called The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership. Um, one more question, Kevin. When, like a lot of people working remotely right now, and I think not just working, but people going to college, that whole experience, education is going to be remote. How, how, what's the challenge for CEOs like yourself to embed your culture with uh, the values that you, you're talking about when a lot of people aren't, aren't even going to be showing up at the office in the future? Right. Well, uh, let me get at that in, a, in this way. Our company is one of those companies where people primarily have to be there to work. So right. we're, for example, making lumber and we right. can't uh, make lumber at home <laughs> from our couch and our sweatpants. So, <laughs> so our challenges right now are more along the lines of, of actually still having to show up and doing mm-hmm. so in a safe way. And what's really struck me about that, Robert, is the that our people have really appreciated the normalcy of coming to work. Right. And that while remote work uh, is possible in some occupations and possible during times of duress, that really in the long run, it's not enough for people. People uh, value human connectivity (laughs) and ultimately want to be in models that are connected. But to the core of your original question, if if a company's got an enduring culture, it it certainly can hold together during an interim period of crisis like now where, where many people may be divided and working from home. Got it. Okay. Okay. Our special guest, Kevin Hancock, the book, it's amazing. It's called The Seventh Power. It's his journey with the Lakota Indians through uh, Russia, uh, exploring the the, uh, Ukraine-Russia history through Colombia and a lot of the history there between some of the rebels and the people running the country. It's just amazing. And through some of America's best corporations and most visionary corporations. And of course, I would put Kevin and his company, even though it's a lumber company, which you wouldn't think is going to be that dynamic. I think, Kevin, you're a dynamic leader. And uh, I love the fact that you went out there on your own to learn and that you've used something that was given to you as probably, you probably thought like, why me? And now you're realizing that it was a blessing for you uh, and all the best to you and continuing your work. You're a real inspiration. Kevin Hancock, thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio. And please tell our listeners where they can find more about you, your company, and the book. Thank you again, Robert, for having me. So you can you can contact me and learn more about the book at my website, which is www.kevin.com dhancock.com and the books available wherever books are sold which today particularly is online so right on amazon or barnesandnobles.com you'd uh, find it fantastic well thank you for being our guest on guys guys radio you are real guys guys kevin hancock you're an inspiration thank you thank you robert take care It's Guy's Guy Radio.
Robert Manny here, Guys Guys Radio. Two guys guys on the show today, plus me. I guess you could call it three then. So what did we learn from Mark Cameron? I think we learned that cops can be good writers. He's a prolific writer. He's a real guys guy and a man of the world, adventure novelist. And I think we learned that you know, policemen, they, they, they really should be part of the community. Hey, we all know there's some bad cops out there, but there's far majority there's good cops, and a lot of them can be good storytellers based on the experience of working with people. So let's keep an open mind and support our police as best we can. The second thing we learned, I think, with Kevin Hancock is that not all CEOs are just all about greed. Some of them are really thinking about how to make the work experience better for their employees, and hopefully there'll be more and more CEOs like Kevin out there. So I want to thank two wonderful guys for being on Guys Guys Radio today. Um, we're on Guys Guys Radio every Wednesday evening on KCAA in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM, 8 p.m. Pacific Time. The show rebroadcasts on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. The podcast drops every Thursday all over the Internet worldwide. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Spreaker, Spreaker Stitcher, TuneIn, Block Talk Radio, CastBox. You can stream it on KCAA or on my website, robertmanny.com. There's a brand new robertmanny.com now. It's much more mobile-friendly, a lot more visual uh, in terms of the uh, graphics and content on the website. I think you'll really enjoy it. And also it features the source material of Everything Guys Guy, which is my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love. It's about two guys in advertising in New York City competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's been called the male successor to Sex in the City. It's a lot of fun, and the book's got a strong business undertow, but it also is fast, it's fun, and it's got an aspect of spirituality to it. I think you'll really enjoy it, and I think the story is, from what I've been told, from guys like it because they can relate to it, and women like it because it's information about guys that they might not be aware of some of the truths about men. And you know what? It ain't all that bad about guys these days, regardless of some of the bad things that men do. So, Guys Guys Radio, if you want to support the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can catch me, Robert Manny, on social media. I'm all over the place. I'm Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, etc., and on my website. So thanks so much for listening. I really love doing the show, and I think it's particularly important that I bring you some great guests during this time when we're dealing with this uh, pandemic, and I'll do my very best to bring information to you that hopefully will help you in your day-to-day life and help you continue to grow and help you to think and help you to feel and hopefully help you to act. So Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. Thanks again to my guests, my listeners. We'll be back next time. And until then, like I always say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>